This podcast is brought to you by Villanova University on iTunes U. Please visit us on itunes.villanova.edu. Welcome on this rainy day, uh, Neiman Hall, and uh, welcome, welcome to Villanova. It's good to have everyone here, especially our guests from China. Uh, yes, my title is Do We Have to Always Get Along? And uh, I've been sort of surprised at the response of people to, oh my gosh, I, that sounds really interesting. <laughs> because I think it is, it's one of those topics that, we're, that we should be digging into. Uh, in a training session in a large organization that was doing business in China, a couple of people from the U.S. organization uh, came to me and wanted to know how to handle a situation in which their Chinese counterpart uh, got angry, threw up some papers, and stormed out. Right? And they wanted to know what was the mistake that they made, the cultural faux pas that they had hand, that ha done that had caused this, and culturally how it is they were supposed to uh, repair the mistake. It seemed to be a revelation to them when I pointed out that there are ill-tempered people in every culture and that uh, we can try to communicate the best we can across cultures, but it is not always failure to communicate effectively uh, across cultures that causes conflicts or resolves them. Similarly, if you've seen Joy Luck Club, there is the classic conflict between the little girl Ashley and her mother over whose success the little girl's chess playing is. The mother shows off Ashley's pictures to her friends, proud of her daughter's success. Ashley snipes at her mother, claiming her own success, and runs off. A conflict ensues. The mother claiming, or conflict ensues. The mother gives Ashley the silent treatment. And much of the movie is about the conflict and inability of the daughter and the mother to get along. The clip is often used to illustrate clashes of culture between you know, American culture and Chinese culture. But the question I often ask my students is, is it culture or personality that causes the conflict between the daughter and the mother? And where is the line in between those? In a third and more awful case, we've seen recently in the news the charge that soldiers in Afghanistan were allegedly told to ignore the physical abuse of boys that they could hear behind them because it was the business of the people in Afghanistan. I spoke with someone whose brother was trained in a special unit in the military to deal specifically with physical abuse of women in Afghanistan. Other soldiers were instructed to not get involved. Those trained in the special units were the only ones who were to get involved in these situations because they were trained specifically to manage them. So, when is perceived bad behavior cultural misunderstanding, and when is it just bad behavior? Is passive aggressive behavior, silent treatment, undermining another, a dominating or avoiding conflict style? Does it preserve external harmony but create inner turmoil? Is this better, worse, or just different than creating external turmoil, such as an argument, while trying to restore inner emotional harmony with another person? Recently, I took on a project of examining the development of research on conflict, culture, and communication with the goal of understanding what was going on around 50 years ago. I started by looking at, for any journals that addressed 
issues of culture, conflict, and communication, or peace as the other side of conflict. Next, I looked at journals that were published in any time between 1950 and 1979. Finally, I narrowed down the journals to ISI, to impact factor journals, which brought the number of journals down to five. Five ISI journals that addressed in some way issues of culture, conflict, and communication between 1950 and 1979. We'll give it a moment. <laughs> No, no, I'll, 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 I'll go with that. Thanks. Thank you. So we're all set? Good. All set. Sorry. Uh, no problem. Why don't we do it afterwards? Please come to the doctor. Yes. So after finding the five journals, I looked for articles across these journals that specifically addressed some combination of culture, conflict, and communication. So this process began by reviewing all the articles published between 1950 and 1979 in the following journals, Journal of Conflict Resolution, Journal of Cross-Cultural Psychology, Journal of Communication, Human Communication Research, and Communication Monographs, which used to be called Speech Monographs, until 1976. Although, so, although the search began by looking for culture and conflict articles, soon it became evident that this net was far too narrow. So the search was broadened to anything related to culture that could somehow be related to conflict, such as perceptions of trustworthiness, challenges with adjustment of one group with another, Latin American nonverbal styles, and also any study related to negotiation, in or interpersonal conflict, such as uses of threats and persuasion, studies of game theory, conflicts between children, and any study that related culture and conflict, even broadly, but limiting the focus on interpersonal or group communication rather than international or mass communication. A few trends became evident through this process. Over the three decades of the 1950s through the 1970s, there was very little research on culture or on conflict, except for very few articles on one or the other in any of the communication journals, until about the mid-1960s. In the late 1960s and growing through the 1970s, research began to emerge in the communication journals on culture, on conflict, or on culture and conflict. Most of this research was in human communication research and in communication monographs, with very few studies found in communication research or Journal of Communication. Similarly, in the Journal of Cross-Cultural Psychology, which started publishing in 1970, there's quite a bit of culture, as one might expect, but very little on the effect of culture on conflict. The Journal of Communication and Communication Research, to the extent that they address culture and conflict, published articles that mostly address conflict at the international level looking at international conflicts or how broadcasting, news, or media trans transfer across national boundaries, 
rather than articles that examine culture and conflict at the interpersonal or group level. Speech monographs, before being renamed communication monographs, largely focused on performance and rhetorical approaches to communication. Yet there were still more articles on culture and, or, con, or conflict or co culture and conflict together in communication monographs than in journal communication or communication <coughs> research. Okay, this is all a lot of background, I know, but it gives a context for the communication scholars for following what, what, where these are going. The journal that addressed culture and conflict the earliest and most frequently was the Journal of Conflict Resolution. Although this journal was and is mostly associated with political science and international relations research, and therefore publishes articles that address conflicts on the international scale, this journal devoted whole issues to culture and interpersonal conflict. The list of authors publishing in this journal in its early years is impressive. Morton Deutsch, Dan Druckmann, Kenneth Bolding, Tom Schelling, David Singer, and such great names, other such great names in conflict research. Looking back on the wealth of research in the early stages of conflict, it becomes evident that great ideas were developing, influenced by some of the great minds in conflict research. And this is where the challenge for future directions of conflict research comes from. The heuristic value of the research in the Journal of Conflict Resolution stands out. Articles in the 1950s and 60s on game theory, on cooperative and competitive goals, on integrative and distributive bargaining, set directions that we know have resulted in large bodies of research. One of the major assumptions in research on conflict and negotiation is that people don't get along. Sometimes because their goals are set too high, sometimes because of their understanding of the issues they are conflicting over, and sometimes due to personality, that someone is prone toward cooperation or competition. Yet when the research about cross-cultural or intercultural um, or simply intracultural communication is examined during this period, there's very little research on conflict and very few ideas have developed into great ideas or into large bodies of research in the same way as the conflict re research, conflict literature has produced. Perhaps this void of great thinking about culture is why Hofstadter's dichotomies published originally in 1980 have been used so widely. Without the theoretical building blocks to work from, research about culture and conflict has ha not had the same heuristic directions that conflict research on its own has had. That said, what does become evident as studies of culture began to emerge in the 1960s and 70s, and studies of culture and conflict together begin to increase during the same time, is that the emphasis is on how culture may change perceptions, lead to misunderstandings, result in different processes used to make decisions or affecting persuasion. Although conflict-related studies have increased, studies about deception, the use of threats, verbal aggression, damage to trustworthiness, these are not the focus of culture and conflict studies. Instead, when culture and conflict are studied together, the, idea, the emphasis is on misperceptions, misinterpretations and other mistakes in the communication process that could result in conflict and if repaired could smooth communication between people from different cultures. Consider for example how much emphasis there is in intercultural communication um, on intercultural competence. 
cross-cultural or intercultural communication and psychological research in the social sciences is often criticized for emphasizing differences. But there are a number of reasons that differences are useful for this type of research, especially given the goals of the research. One reason, different, one reason differences are useful is simply because they make good comparisons. Differences result in useful research designs. In a simple comparison of cultures, a two-by-two two design includes two cultures and two different levels of another construct. But also, if the goal of cross-cultural research is to figure out what doesn't work so that it can be repaired, then understanding what the differences are between how people think and act across cultures can provide perspectives about what to fix or how to adjust our own thinking when interacting or working with someone from another culture. But this approach to studying conflict across cultures reinforces a bias that can also result in frustration and unrealistic expectations about working with people from different cultures. If we expect that with the right knowledge of the variations across culture, we should be able to work well with people from different cultures, then we may also be dismayed when things don't go so well. Unmet expectations that the communication process should go well, or that with some adjustments we can always find the necessary common ground, can leave individuals frustrated when working in a particular culture, finding that their best efforts are still unsuccessful. Although the cause may be inability to communicate effectively across cultures, there's another possibility that it too is often overlooked, that the individuals we are working with are difficult to work with. When working in our own organizations, within our own cultures, it is not uncommon to find that there are people who are difficult to work with. I see some of you nodding. <laughs> Don't point anybody out. People may be aggressive or passive aggressive, deceptive, power hungry, abrasive, or any one of other, many other negative traits or behaviors that make it very difficult to work with individuals. Yet the underlying goal in most cross-cultural research is to figure out how we can get along with people across cultures. But what if some people within one's own culture or across cultures are just very difficult to work with? What if the telltale signs that someone is going to be a problematic personality differ across cultures? And what if the way we manage conflicts with difficult people is also not the same across cultures? How do we sort out what is cultural misperception and what is bad behavior? And if it is bad behavior, that's exactly when we need to know when and how to manage the influence of culture on communication. What is the most appropriate and effective way to handle someone's bad behavior? Or, if across cultures, are we resigned to letting the bad behavior pass? Letting someone else deal with it or giving it into our own ethical and moral standards for how people can treat each other just to get along. In an article by Sandy Smith and Steve Wilson about new directions for interpersonal communication just a couple of years ago, they noted the shift in the past two decades in interpersonal communication, quote, away from seemingly positive topics such as authenticity, intimacy, and openness that pervaded the early interpersonal communication landscape to also examine dysfunctional and ethically questionable practices such as bullying, deception, hurtful messages, infidelity, stalking, and physical, sexual, verbal aggression, topics that have garnered a great deal of research attention in the past 
two decades, unquote. On the one hand, with all the violence and acts of hate going on in the news that involve cultures and cultural judgments, I'm a bit hesitant to suggest that we should not always focus on getting along. That said, those who know the influence of culture on communication the best are exactly the ones who should be addressing the darker side to communication, to communicating across cultures. I tell my students there are wonderful people in every culture. There are mean, nasty, greedy, and even rotten people in every culture. We need to know when culture ends, where personality overrides cultures, and how to appropriately read, respond, and manage people behaving badly, especially across cultures. Thank you. Thank you for here. We all thank you. Everybody here already, I want to thank you to my students. They did all the translation for all the paper given by the Chinese scholars. They did a teamwork, like a, a work very well, and uh, that's the, make it possible today for, for the, even Chinese people cannot speak English, they still can give a paper. In the future, I think that will be something we think about our students can do something here. Mm -hmm. And uh, now, and uh, the and uh, Dr. Fang gave uh, the paper, it talked about uh, the so socialist value, and uh, Dr. Liu, uh, he's supposed to give the paper, he gave the paper about the human rights between Ch China and uh, American, but for any reason, I cannot speak here, he cannot uh, talk, and uh, so, Dr. Liu just sit here to listen to us, but you can read his paper. He, he, he cannot speak here. The, but Dr. Fang will talk about uh, in Chinese, and I just translate sentence by sentence and uh, to the audience. And uh, you, I hope you will ask some questions. I think some of the students, they did the translation. They will ask some questions during the, the, their process, okay? Thank you very much. You can start. Yeah. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, Good morning. Good morning. Uh, my name is Fang Songhua. I'm from Shanghai Academic of Social Science. My subject is Chinese philosophy and culture. Uh, but I speak uh, English too bad. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I speak Chinese. I get a professor to translation. Uh-huh. My topic is uh, the core socialist value and the building of Chinese modern civilization. My focus is on the Chinese modern civilization. Uh, uh, 
Now, there's a, what is a Chinese social, socialist value is a present hardest topic in China. Uh, Okay, now there is a soft Chinese soft culture and uh, force here. Also, is the future, the direct future Chinese direction. Okay, he said, like uh, the old Chinese said, to ordain consciousness for heaven and earth, to secure life and future fortune for the people and to con and continue lose a lost learning from past sage and to establish peace for all future generations. From a big historical perspective and uh, we see Chinese in the, in the ancient time, we already have the idea about what is the value in Chinese culture. Yes, like Confucius' idea about the uh, violence, uh, righteousness, and cultures uh, and wisdom and integrity, that's a uh, Confucius' value is already exists. And uh, Chinese civilization is different from Western civilization. Our civilization is not based on the and, uh, religion oriented. Confucianism and uh, truly and uh, saves the Chinese the value about uh, human, human rights. And the Chinese uh, modern and philosophy believe Chinese and uh, use an uh, ethic oriented value instead of the and uh, religion oriented value. Uh, we are the society and based on the and the ethics, not religion. Yes, since the May Fourth Movement in 1919, and Confucianism Confucianism become the item in the Chinese museum. Uh,但是新中国建立以后呢，我们的核心价值观又重新提出来了，那就是为人民服务，大公无私，一直到斗士必休。And uh, since a uh, uh, people's republic China established, we have a uh, built up the new value. It's like a service for the people, and uh,为人民服务还是什么？大公无私。Oh, uh, we have a selfishness. And uh, those people, this just uh, criticize yourself, and uh, those people very difficult cultural evolution words like criticize yourself 
and uh, you criticize uh, any and uh, reformism now the older value is uh, is gone and the new and the value is all also is uh, fall apart uh, uh, and uh, only in 30 years Chinese started to open up to the world Chinese economy has a big change. We use one generation, Chinese one generation is 30 years. We finished all the process for the whole Western society for 100 years. So we are very happy because Okay. Okay. We this we our generation is very proud. In thirty years we we and the fulfilled the goal and the Western society have to work on four hundred years. 比较有意思的是，因为我们走的这个道路是和西方的现代化道路是完全不完全一样的这样一个道路。we pass the road is not totally the same as the Western society. So I'm questions here. May we have a different civilization from the Western society? Yes, we also we have a serious considered one questions here. And uh, our economic and developed very fast, but we lost a lot of things during the development too. Also we have uh, we environment issues here and also we lost uh, lost a lot of uh, like um <coughs> ethics value too. And Chinese economics studied and go to the normal way, and also we are thinking about the reconstructed our value of the spread.因为我们觉得这个两个方面都非常困难，这不仅仅是关系到中国未来的前程，而且是关系到呃我们将向走向何方。yeah, this is both a very difficult task for us because it's not just uh, and uh, related to what we're going to do, also related in the future what direction we are we are we are faced to. We Okay. Now we, we have a slogan for the purpose and uh, democracy and uh, the civilization and the harmony. The 12 Chinese characters is as uh, the country's slogan. They're including three and the meanings. It's first is our Chinese traditional and uh, the value. 
we we very grateful for the uh, the Western society, the civilization in, impact and the, get a big influence on China. Then the Chinese modernization uh, observed a lot of uh, and the good value from the Western societies. 特别是美国这样一个一些在很多方面给我们很多的启发 And especially American give us a lot of ideas 当然我们还有自己更高大的理想这个理想就是马克思主义 And of course we have a higher end ideals that is Marxism 因为马克思追求的是人为的自由与解放 And we say that is a human and freedom and liberty That is a Last goal for Marxism too. That's we want to construct the Chinese modern and civilization. Thank you very much. So, as you heard, Dr. Lu Xia, his presentation is available for reading. He will not be making the presentation. So, these are our two presenters. For this morning, so I would like to open the floor up for questions, comments, and any kind of interactive interaction. How is that for being redundant? That we may have with our panelists this morning. The floor is open to you. Actually, no. I think because I think we've we've actually focused quite a bit in negotiation on goals and argument and and outcomes, right? But the assumption is that we have some somehow a shared outcome of wanting to come to an agreement, and therefore there may be some cultural interpretations that are create barriers. And if we can't reach a, an outcome, it's because either our interests are different or just we're not understanding each other. Um, but I would say that the instead, it's it's more of a call to understanding relational aspects as well. That it's uh, very much relationship. That uh, in relationships there are bullies. There are you know there are um, people who take advantage of people. Again, is 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 passive aggressive behavior is that a must or is that just bad behavior? Is that is that something that works within a culture? Or is that something that is that is always detrimental? Are there common threads that run across cultures that are just bad behaviors, and then are they enacted differently in the different cultures, so that our response to what is effective in managing them changes? So if somebody's passive aggressive, somebody's passive aggressive, my approach might be, you know, a good American one. Let's let's confront the person. What you know? Why are we doing this? But that may be exactly the wrong kind of response in in another culture, such as Chinese culture. If somebody's passive aggressive, the wrong thing to do is go, "Why are you doing this?" Right? 
that that would be the wrong response. So how do we deal with, manage a passive aggressive behavior, which is it bad? And if so, what are the different responses to it? Very relational. Thank you very much. Other questions? Comments? Um, I'll ask uh, this question directed to Dr. Paul. I'll ask it in English first, and I'll ask it in Chinese. Um, my question is, um, when you take China's socialism to certain other East Asian countries, such as Japan, Taiwan especially, or Korea, what, what do you think the reaction would be? In Chinese, Yeah,就会怎么样表现在台湾、日本、韩国。再说一次。没有问题。如果你放中国的社会主义在别的亚洲国家,你想这社会主义会怎么样表现在这些国家。就是说,如果你对社会主义价值观在其他亚洲国家
and in the future. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. We probably have time for probably one or two more questions, comments? Comments? Two more questions, that's okay. Um, thank you so much for, um, for the talks. I, I want to ask talk. a question of uh, uh, Dr. Sidnall too. In the translation, uh, the oh. translation, so th this, I'm interested in, in a, a claim here um, on the first page says, undoubtedly, with the booming economy, China also pays a lot, both ecologically and spiritually. Mm -hmm. so I wonder what spiritually means, what, what's been paid. He said, spiritually Okay, he said that we think spiritual is uh, like uh, your uh, ethics and uh, your, and mostly he said is a thought. Okay, well, I guess what I want to know is what, what has been lost because of the boom of the 但是因为这个经济热潮吧，你们失去了什么东西？有很多人因为呃，他成为了一个呃那个大富豪，嗯，是吧？富二代，嗯，富三代，然后但是他那个呃就是在精神，特别在文明上面，他没有追求了，然后
integrity and uh, so so those things we still in in life in the Chinese society. 比如说, for example, you respect your parents and you love your, your you get along with your, your brothers. And you have a richness to your friends. And you take a responsibility to the society. That is our the roots of the civilization and the tradition. Thank you. Thank you. We can probably take one last question. I think I saw your hand up. No student, that's it. <laughs> okay. Okay. Uh, just a follow-up to Dr. Dooley's question for Dr. Fan. Yeah, you mentioned in terms of spirituality that it comes from ethics and morality, but where do those values come from for the Chinese? Basically,你说你基础是你们的,就是我们的道德观,但是在他们认为,精神上的东西跟道德是那个非常密切的关系。也有各种不一样的派别,但是主要的我们是认为人性是善的。And mm -hmm. uh, he said uh, just like, like he talked, and the, the Chinese is a uh, ethic-oriented and uh, value society. It's different from a religion-oriented uh, society. Our idea is, no matter what, you, we still have a different uh, people think in different uh, things. But the, the basic value for Chinese is we believe human being was born good. But he says uh, Western society believe a human being was born and uh, guilty. It is just a main tradition, it's not for everybody. And, uh, Chinese believe and uh, China, the human being was born good and uh, Western society believe a human being was born guilty. We feel guilty, sin. We think a sin. So, in a Confucianism believe as long as you and uh, show your humanities, that society will be good. For example, a Chinese uh, very famous and uh, Confucianist Xunzi, also he is believed human being was born evil or bad. A uh, different groups too. Mm-hmm. He believed in the good, good things is a uh, hypocritic. Human being could not be was born as good. So so that's why he say think uh, righteousness. That is very important for the Chinese. Use that way to make you a go to formal and a normal way to get rid of the evil and uh, build up the good things. So then you will become a good people. Thank you very much. Uh, so I'd like to give a hand to all of our participants.